Uh, you've blessed us with the gift of other people around us this morning, those who sit in front of us, behind us, to our left, to our right. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in fellowship with one another and also to gather in worship to give you all the glory, honor, and praise that you are due. Uh, you have blessed us in so many ways, and so it is a delight to return to you to say thank you. At this time, Lord, we lift up to you all the burdens of our hearts, those things which weigh us down and cause us anxiety and confusion and sometimes even despair. Uh, we ask for your healing presence and touch this morning that you would grant us relief and respite. And now speak to us once again, Lord God, of your great and unconditional and eternal love for us for all humanity, and for all creation. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My sermon text for this morning is the Gospel lesson, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And would like to take as my sermon title for today, The Difference Returning to Give Thanks Makes. The Difference Returning to Give Thanks Makes. This memorable story we have before us this morning is located only in Luke's gospel, nowhere else in Matthew, Mark, or John. On the way to Jerusalem, verse 11 begins, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Apparently they know him or have at least heard about him. No doubt they have heard of his numerous previous healings and exorcisms and miracles, perhaps even the former cleansing of another leper back in chapter 5. An account is related therein where a man described as being full of leprosy falls on his face in front of Jesus, crying out, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. At which point Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the man and exclaims, I will be clean. Jesus ends the encounter by charging him, go and show yourselves to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded as a proof for the people. Unlike that particular leper, these ten keep their distance. According to verse number 12, Undoubtedly adhering to the legal proscriptions of Leviticus chapter 13, which enjoin lepers to wear torn clothes, let the hair of their heads hang loose to cover their upper lips and cry out, unclean, unclean. Because they are unclean, they are to dwell alone in a habitation outside the camp where everyone else lives. Lepers were, in fact, practically quarantined isolated from human contact and community in order to prevent the transmission of their physical disease, but also its accompanying ritual impurity and uncleanliness. You need not think too hard or too long, my friends, to come up with modern-day lepers in the metaphorical sense of those who are quarantined or isolated from human community, from the rest of us, the homeless, the mentally ill, those suffering from addiction, disease, or terminal illnesses, perhaps those of a different race or sexual orientation from your own, immigrants, documented or otherwise. And if you think a little more deeply, you'll realize the reality of human sinfulness 
has rendered each and every one of us in a similar position of forced exile, of having to dwell alone outside the camp. Isaiah 64 tells the truth. In our sins, we have been a long time. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment in your sight, O God. Much like with these ten, then, Jesus encounters us in a broken, debilitated unclean and isolated fashion with the only cry we can muster being Jesus master have mercy on us when he saw them verse 14 says he said to them go and show yourselves to the priests and as they went they were made clean isn't that interesting as they went they were made clean That seems to indicate to me that there's something cleansing about the journey. You almost get the sense that in this instance, the healing is not instantaneous, but gradual. It's not sudden, but incremental. It's not all at once, but rather calibrated, if you will. We, as modern day Christians, are so fond of instantaneous salvations, rebirths, conversions, and deliverances, we sometimes forget that we can be cleansed as we go. Scripture is replete with such former instances, so we can certainly be forgiven that tendency, but we ought not overlook the gradual, time-taking instances of healing and getting close to God, such as occur with the blind man from Bethsaida in Mark chapter 8, Jonah the fleeing prophet, Joseph of Arimathea, Elijah and Elisha's time capsule released, resuscitations of two widow's sons, as well as the incident we have before us this morning. Somebody in here, if you're being honest with yourself, is being healed as you go. You're being delivered, cleansed, and restored as you go. It's the journey itself that is curative, balming, and whole-making. You are being discipled, equipped for ministry, being transformed even into Christ's very own image as you go. It's not so much one worship service, as it is months and years of regular worship services. It's not as much one Bible study as months and years of faithful attendance. It's not so much one Sunday school class as it is months and years of partaking of educational opportunities. It is years, my friends, of small incremental steps, some forward, a few backward, of becoming more loving, more faithful and devoted, bearing more fruit of the Spirit, uh, increasing first fruit offerings of your time, talent, and treasures to God's kingdom and God's church, we may lose sight of our progress, our discipleship, our growth, because it seems so painstakingly slow or even non-evident at times, especially when we desire it to be sudden, instantaneous, and dramatic. But in fact, everyone in here, is to one degree or another being made clean as you go. 
Then one of them, verse 15 continues, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Hmm. We're being healed as we go. Are we turning back as we go? We're being made clean as we go. Are we praising God as we go? With a loud voice. When is the last time you and I prostrated ourselves, which means to fall on our faces before this altar or any other holy representation of Jesus in our lives? Verse 17, then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? That stings when you know yourself to be in the other nine. Verse 18, was none of them found to return and to praise God except this foreigner? Apparently the other nine were Jewish and therefore had higher expectations than this lone Samaritan. Get up and go on your way. Jesus dismisses this grateful recipient. Your faith has made you well. To further understand and appreciate the intricacies of this text, my friends, and the earlier one from chapter 5, you have to turn all the way back to Leviticus, the 13th and 14th chapters. Chapter 13 therein concerns instructions for the diagnosis of leprosy while chapter 14 therein concerns instructions for the healing or cleansing of the disease. In both chapters, the priest is absolutely central. It is he who pronounces the diagnosis in the first place, and it is he who pronounces the cure. Hence, Jesus instructs these lepers to go to the priests. Part of this process of healing in Leviticus is that the cleansed leper is to make an offering to begin the process of reuniting him or her back to community once again. You go to the priest, in other words, to show your healing. Then you make an offering for that healing. And then you are reunited with your family and friends, neighborhood and community. So even the language of Leviticus 14, verses 3 and 4, is provocative. If the leprous disease is healed, past tense, ED, healed, then they shall make an offering for him who is to be cleansed. Future tense, it hasn't happened yet. Healing and cleansing are not the same thing in Leviticus and are not used interchangeably. One concerns the physical condition and the other a spiritual and or emotional condition, especially as it concerns being reunited and reconciled back into community. And the offering is the transition between the two stages. I can be healed physically in my body, in other words. I can have some critical external factor in my life change for the better without having an emotional counterpart of peace or a spiritual counterpart of reconciliation occur. I can be healed but not cleansed, in other words. Now in the text for today, healing and cleansing do appear to be synonymous and interchangeable. The scripture says, as they went, they were cleansed. 
And when one saw that he was healed, but a step has yet to occur, and that consists in what this Samaritan does in verses 15 and 16, turning back, praising God with a loud voice, prostrating himself and giving thanks, at which point Jesus pronounces in verse number 19 that he is made well. Based on this text and the spirit of Leviticus chapter 14, I would like to suggest to you, if I may, that there's a difference between being healed and cleansed and being made well. I would like to suggest to you that ten lepers got healed and got cleansed in this text this morning, a miracle that, by the way, was not revoked just because they didn't come back, but only one of them was made well. And for that latter instance to occur, something else had to happen. Something else had to take place. And a priest had to pronounce it so in order that a man might begin the process of being reconciled to his family and to his community. This Samaritan, this outsider, knew something that the insiders did not. Healing and cleansing were one thing, but there remained something else. Physical deliverance was one thing, But there remained a spiritual task to be accomplished. His flesh was restored, but not yet his spirit. The white leprous color of his flesh might have been restored, but his soul was still scarlet and sin-stained. What remained, he was aware, was to go show himself to the priest to make an offering and to receive back a pronouncement. The other nine, ironically, may have been being obedient to this instruction in a literal sense. They may have been going up to Jerusalem to the priest in the temple there. But apparently this man alone had insight into the fact that as the book of Hebrews would testify not a couple of generations out, that Jesus Christ was the true high priest, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who now sits at God the Father's right hand and makes intercession for you and me even now. He knew he had to go beyond the healing, beyond the cleansing to being made well. Have you been healed, my friends? Hallelujah, you've got one more step. Have you been cleansed? Glory, you've got one more step. And that is to turn back, to praise God with a loud voice, to fall at God's feet and to make an offering of thanksgiving and praise. The only priest to whom you can render such an action, the only priest who can authorize the healing and make the final pronouncement and begin to reintroduce you to community and reconcile broken and estranged relationships in your life is Jesus Christ. Jesus has healed you and cleansed you and He is the only one who can declare you made well. St. Augustine, that great 5th century North African theologian, commented on the art of preaching saying it ought to do three things. This is preaching. It ought to, number one, teach. Number two, delight. And number three, persuade. Teach, delight, and persuade. Such that the response to preaching should be, I learned something, I was moved, and I intend to do something about it. Along those lines, you and I could examine this scripture today and say, I learned that I too am broken and isolated like a leper, but Jesus healed me. I was moved by that, and now I will have a special place in my heart for those on the margins, those outside of human love and acceptance. 
You could say, I learned that I am cleansed as I go along my journey and that it's not necessarily instantaneous. I was moved by that and now as a result, I will be more patient with myself and with others. You could say, I learned that there's a difference between being physically and externally healed and spiritually made well. I was moved by that, and now as a result, I will make an offering of thanksgiving and praise to publicly thank God for what God did and what God is about to do. Concerning the distinction between the last two, being moved and being persuaded. Professor Luke Timothy Johnson of Emory University makes a distinction between what he calls an aesthetic experience and a religious experience. An aesthetic experience, he says, is when you leave a great symphony performance and say, wow, that was a great concert. A religious experience is when you leave and go become a violinist. An aesthetic experience, he says again, is when you hear a great sermon and leave and say, wow, that was a great sermon. A religious experience is when you leave and go and sell everything you have to the poor and go and follow Jesus. Toward that end, let it never be said of St. Philip Lutheran Church that we are a church of aesthetic experiences. Wow, what a great liturgy. What a great sermon or choir anthem or praise band performance. What great singing and prayers and fellowship and then go home and that's all it ever is. Rather, let it be said of us that we are a church of religious experiences. People's lives are changed and transformed. People change schools and majors and jobs and careers based upon God's calling on their lives. People labor for justice and sacrifice for God's kingdom. People actually do beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. People bring the first fruits of their time, their talents, and their financial treasures into the house of God to be used on behalf of the people of God. Oh, today I learned that the offering of my life is the difference between being healed and being made well. I was moved, and as a result, I now commit myself to make justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I now commit myself to contribute today to the food bank of North Raleigh Ministries before I leave this place and to sign up for one week to advocate for affordable housing for our community and our county. Today I learned that returning to give thanks and praise to God makes all the difference in the world. I was moved by that. And now as a result, I will feed the hungry. I will give drink to the thirsty. I will visit the sick and imprisoned, clothe the naked, welcome the outcast, forgive the sinner, and protect the least and most vulnerable of society. Today I learned that Jesus doesn't revoke healings even when I'm ungrateful. I was very moved by that. And as a result, I will do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. I will weep with those who weep, and I'll rejoice with those who rejoice. I will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in all I say, speak, and do. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I will care for orphans and widows in their distress, and I will speak for those who have no voice. Today, I learned of the un 
unconditional love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. I was delighted and moved by that. And as a result, my life is forevermore changed. And I intend to do something about it starting tonight and tomorrow morning until the captives are released, until the blind see, until the oppressed go free and the poor receive good news, until every mountain and hill are brought low and every valley is lifted up, until all the rough places are made smooth and all the crooked places are made straight such that all flesh may see the salvation of our God. The difference, my friends, the difference returning to give thanks makes. Difference returning to give thanks makes. Amen.